The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now, here's your host, Mary Woods. Hello, welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mark Green standing in for Mary Woods again. Um, I'm the medical director at Westbridge. And today I'm really glad to have as a guest on the show, Chris Germer. Um, Chris is a clinical psychologist in private practice in Boston and um, instructs and supervises at Harvard Medical School and at the Cambridge Hospital. Um, Chris, apart from being a um, clinician for several decades, is also the founding member of the Institute for Meditation and Psychotherapy. He's written some great articles available um, on the Internet and also two really interesting books. One, um, Mindfulness and Psychotherapy, which is more of a professional book, and a really wonderful, um, very readable and practical book, The Mindful Path to Self-Compassion, Freeing Yourself from Destructive Thoughts and Emotions, which is published by Guilford Press. So, hi, Chris. Yes, hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. I've got to say, I I really enjoyed reading it. It's a very readable book. I've read a lot of books about mindfulness, and it feels very, I get the essence of what's being said because it infuses me with a feeling of peace and tranquility, <laughs> but I liked your book because it's very practical. You have lots of practical examples um, from clinical practice uh, in here and in your articles that you write in, um, uh, which I access from your website, um, and um, I thought it was a really excellent guide for people. But, you know, the two words which I want you to tell us a little bit about here, mindful and self-compassion. Um, so what, what, what do these mean? Uh, that's a very big subject. We could, we could talk an hour about that, but I'll try to keep it brief. Um, mindfulness is um, uh, a perceptual process which seems to underlie a lot of um, healing. And in particular, it's the ability to be um, aware in the present moment to what's going on in our lives rather than uh, struggling against it or turning away from it, and also doing it with a spirit of acceptance or, or warm-heartedness, you know, the capacity to embrace the experience, even if it's difficult. And it's a skill that we can learn, and when we do, we can usually take the bumps in our lives a little bit easier. So, you know, people have been talking about, so these techniques really came into current Western psychotherapy over the last, what, 10, 20 years, but they're being talked about a lot more. Traditionally, they were Eastern techniques derived from Buddhism and Zen practices, right? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And um, how... Did you personally get involved 
um, in such work and in start incorporating them into your psychotherapy practice? Oh uh, well, it goes it goes way back. I I first went to India in 1976 and learned about mindfulness uh, there, mm-hmm. and then I went to graduate school after that. And then in 1984, I joined a study group of um, psychotherapists who were interested in integrating uh, Buddhist psychology and Western psychotherapy. And we've been meeting once a month, um, you know, since 1984. And that group became the Institute for Meditation and Psychotherapy. And then when uh, mindfulness began to be uh, researched um, by, uh, in uh, psychology, and particularly in clinical psychology, we uh, co-edited a book together, the one you mentioned, Mindfulness and Psychotherapy. And um, since then, my life has not been quite the same. <laughs> I, I, I was sitting in the corner of the same office for uh, almost 20 years, and now I spend half my time talking and so forth because mindfulness is so very popular right now. It's one of the most popular models of psychotherapy in the United States. Why do you think it was? Why do you think it took so long to explicitly be incorporated into um, what we do? Uh, well. Um, <laughs> Uh, I have a colleague at the uh, University of Reno in Nevada, Steve Hayes, who was asked that question, and his response was, uh, it's now so popular because the crazies are driving the bus. <laughs> Which he means that uh, people who were exploring uh, meditation and uh, Eastern psychology and so forth uh, for consciousness expansion and so forth are now the people who... Um, write grants, research grants, and read research grants and give money and do the research and so forth. And, um, and you know, ultimately I think it's, it's, the, um, it's because uh, science is the arbiter of truth in our culture. It, it determines what's true and what's untrue to a large extent, and uh, the science has now caught up with what people have been thinking about for so many years. So um, Stephen Hayes, you know, developed. Yes, yeah, obviously, you know, he developed the acceptance and commitment therapy model, and that acceptance approach, being aware of what you're going through, and instead of fighting against um, whatever the challenge is in your life or the unpleasant emotion and trying to get rid of it or deal with it somehow, um, the alternative is to accept what you're going through and find some compassion for it rather than lean against, trying to push against it and somehow get some healing process through that. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. It's, um, it's, yes, he, he managed to distill these ideas, these ancient ideas, in a really um, acceptable form for uh, secular psychotherapy and also as a foundation for research. He's done a great job uh, doing that. And he also adds the notion of commitment, which is that... Um, as we are accept, by the way, acceptance doesn't mean accepting bad behavior or things that are wrong. It means opening in the present moment to what's going on, which can often lead to um, quite uh, radical action against things that are wrong in our lives. I just want to say that. But his his key idea, which is so interesting, is that the reason why we need to meet things with uh, acceptance and awareness is because. We're, we're really, all of us, trying to live um, 
meaningful lives, and we all have obstacles along the way. And how do we meet those obstacles? Do we meet them with uh, resistance or with regret, or can we in some way embrace them and move on toward what's critical and important in our lives? And that's the role of mindfulness. Mindfulness is how do we, how do we handle the obstacles? I should perhaps just also say it's also a way of uh, savoring the ordinary things of our lives, you know, the taste of um, watermelon or the beautiful blue sky like we have right now as we speak in Boston. Mm-hmm. So mindfulness is a way of moving beyond what Freud called ordinary unhappiness, but also a way of uh, not allowing ourselves to be um, uh, hamstrung by obstacles on the path to a meaningful life. So give us a taste of what that could look like um, in practice, perhaps. Uh, well, um, you know, this idea of acceptance of something difficult in one's life, yeah. um, something painful. I mean, it's our nat- right. natural tendency to say, right. I don't right. want to feel that, and, and, right. and I want to change it. So, right. so how do you tell somebody who's, who's suffering um, right. to accept their whole experience? What's it look like? What do you do? Yeah, well, you, we actually don't tell people to do that. It's a little bit like saying, be happy or be spontaneous. You know, it kind mm-hmm. of, we do the opposite. What we do is that we explore how uh, fighting our experience has not um, worked. Uh, so, for example, when we fight sleeplessness, we create insomnia. When we fight anxiety, we can develop panic. When we fight grief, we can develop depression. When we fight, when we try to get our partners to think the way we do, we usually only <laughs> we usually get the opposite. So, uh, what we do is we ex- explore, you might say, the destructive side of emotional resistance, and then we offer moment to moment acceptance as as an alternative and usually people can see that that they actually consider that sort of a fresh welcome approach and there's there's so many ways mark of of leaning in with kindness uh toward our experience um uh perhaps you could before the break do you think you you might be able to tell us give us one small example uh yes uh, when a person has, and this is a mindfulness example, and and um, my main subject is more the com- self-compassion side, which is about caring for ourselves. But when we when we talk about acceptance, we're usually talking about acceptance of experience rather than acceptance of ourselves. And when we have, for example, physical pain, um, if we uh, do three things. Number one, if we soften the area where we have pain, as if we were placing a warm compress on that area. To, in other words, mentally soften the area. That's number one, and that's a, sort of a physical side. The second is allow the discomfort, the physical discomfort, to be there. Allow it to come and go rather than fighting it. And then the third element is soothing. And soothing means to direct uh, compassion or kindness to the part of the body as if there were, as if a beloved child or friend were suffering in the same way. So we, if you have physical discomfort, we can soften, allow, and soothe. And these are 
uh, uh, physical, psychological, and emotional ways of turning toward the experience with a spirit of acceptance. It's um, one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to do it. Yes. I mean, I actually have lower back pain, and um, as so many of our listeners would have, and the idea... The idea of noticing the pain and it come and go um, and allowing that sort of loving um, experience there is so different than what we normally do, which is feel bothered by it, um, try and get comfortable and squirm around, um, feel frustrated um, and fight it, I guess. Yes, absolutely. my, My dear friend Ron Siegel wrote a book called Back Sense, which is specifically about how to um, apply, how to use mindfulness for uh, lower back pain so it doesn't turn into chronic pain syndrome. But in particular, his key message is uh, resume normal behavior, which means to allow the pain to come and go, but as we do that, to make sure that we're moving the back again, that we're not keeping it frozen in place so that the muscles, you know, remain strong. Yeah. Yeah. So you can hear that we have a break coming up. Okay. Um, that website, what is that website again? The website for... Where all of your books are published. Oh, it's, it's, thank you. It's www.mindfulselfcompassion, all one word, mindfulselfcompassion.org. Okay, mindfulselfcompassion.org. We'll be back after a short break. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center of recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. So, hi, this is Mark Green, coming back Standing in for Mary with Chris Germer talking about the mindful path to self-compassion. And, um, you know, before the break, Chris, um, you were talking to me about acceptance and mindfulness. And before we go any further, I want to say there's a lot of focus in your book and writing on the explicit experience of emotions and, and body states. Uh-huh. Not something that we necessarily do so much in psychotherapy generally. Um, we'll talk about things, and we're, but you really draw people in to, to notice aspects of their emotion and, and experience. Um, and how do you begin to do that with someone who um, has, been, has never paid attention to any of that? For example, and most of us usually don't, but I'm thinking in particular maybe younger people or people who um, are very... Um, highly anxious and very cerebral. Um, how do you begin to open that body and um, emotional experience up to them? Um, yeah, that's an excellent question, um, for which there are probably as many answers as there are uh, people. But generally speaking, um, when when we suffer, we tend to take the elevator to the top floor and go into our heads and to think a lot. And it's almost as if the body itself is is not the most pleasant place in the world to be. So in order to get into the body, we actually um, need to experience the body as safer. This is especially the case, by the way, when somebody has suffered trauma of some sort. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah. Physical trauma. Um, so um, so I, I can say um, usually single-focus awareness when we pay attention to one thing over and over again, calms, calms the body. If a person doesn't want to be in their body at all, we first teach single-focus awareness to an external object such as sound, to, to listen as if we were in, a, in symphony hall to whatever sound appears, uh, whatever sound presents itself to us, the mind starts to calm. Uh, when people then are able to get a little closer toward their bodies, then we bring attention to some touch point on the body, such as the soles of the feet. People, Even if people have trauma in their bodies, they can often take some comfort, uh, for example, when they walk, and simply focus again and again on the soles of the feet. And that actually draws a person out of their mind and out of rumination, out of fear, out of regret, into just moment-to-moment sensations of the soles of the feet. And then a, a further, somewhat more complex task is when we're having an emotion, such as anxiety, where is that anxiety expressed in the physical body? Is it expressed in the stomach or in the solar plexus or the chest, the throat, the neck? Where do we feel it? But, you know, for some people it takes a little while to be able to anchor their emotions in the physical body. Because it's so difficult, Mark, um, mm. 
we sometimes need to go straight to the self-compassion side of things where we just bring kindness and comfort to to the whole experience of being ourselves when it doesn't feel good to be ourselves. And, and that's actually one of the reasons why um, I wrote this book, because sometimes it's just really hard for people to be mindful, that is to say aware of moment-to-moment experience, particularly in the physical body, when they're not feeling soothed, comforted, held, or embraced. And we can't expect people to do that for us whenever we need it. We can actually give that to ourselves. And that's really quite a remarkable... That's a great point. I mean, I think in good psychotherapy, we express a lot, as therapists, express a lot of caring or try and transmute, transmit that sense of caring and and love to um, to our patients. Um, but what you'll do is really more explicitly evoke that and increase their capacity to express it for themselves. You're almost teaching them how to build upon that themselves. Yeah, yeah. I, I consider self-compassion kind of a portable. Uh, psychotherapy. In other words, what can people do between sessions? You know, it's often the case people go to a therapy session and they're receiving a lot of kindness and attention and their heart's kind of open. And But then they walk out the door and they're on their own and some of the pain that was held is sort of exposed. What do people do then when they're, you know, in bed at night, in the middle of the night, can't sleep, medication is not working, meditation is not working, partners snoring away you know there we have these like dark dark nights of the soul is it possible to give ourselves the same loving kindness the same compassion that we seek from others can we give it to ourselves in exactly the moment when we need it the most and a self-compassion practice which has really been around for the last 2500 years more in sort of the buddhist practice uh, realm is i think a, a very practical, secular uh, technique for giving ourselves the, the love that we need and want in order to soothe and comfort and, in fact, then even be able to be mindful about what's going on in our lives, to be less overwhelmed. Yeah. Right. So to be able to focus, what you're saying is to be able to focus on a single point of awareness um, is important for calming oneself, and yeah. then you can um, be more compassionate rather than fighting against that experience and perpetuating some of the suffering that we we have, right? Well, um, Mark, there are really three psychological skills that we that we're talking about, which have which sort of um, they're synergistic. They sort of support one another. The the one that you just mentioned is concentration or single focus awareness, and that calms. The second is actually what we call uh, mindfulness meditation, which, which is open field awareness. We can't always be returning again and again to one thing. We have to deal with a crying child. We have to deal with a boss who didn't like what we're doing. We, have to, we get hungry. We have to deal with things in life. And how do we meet, as it were, all the distractions of our lives, all the challenges of our lives, without m- making them more complicated in our lives, and that's mindfulness. We meet them with a kind of present moment, moment, open-hearted awareness. But the third component is compassion. So we can actually have the ability to calm ourselves with focused awareness. 
we can have the ability to meet the different events in our lives with moment-to-moment awareness and have thereby some soothing and equanimity. But those two won't work because there are times in our lives when things just get so hairy that the only thing that we can, that we, the only way that we can cope is if we get a lot of kindness, a lot of soothing, and that's, that's compassion. Mm-hmm. Compassion um, is a um, concentration, mindfulness, and compassion all work together. For some people, compassion is the first practice to learn. For others, maybe concentration. For still others, maybe mindfulness. My experience is that in my own personal life and with my clients is that when, when, we are, when our suffering is intense or very disturbing or quite persistent, we need to lead with compassion. We don't lead with concentration. We don't lead with mind. We lead with compassion, and then we bring in the other two elements, concentration and mindfulness. Okay. Can you give me a sense of what you would do some, or what you would tell some of your clients to do um, to begin to begin, to be, to begin that process of process, yes. compassion? Yes, yes uh, we can do something altogether right now, which just take a minute, um, in which, um, which, would that be okay? Yes, I think we, I hope we have time before the break. Let's try. Okay. So um, uh, what... Um, what I often encourage people to do, and I, I would like to say we can do now, is if is just hold your um, arms out in front of you and tighten your fists. Make them really, really tight. Okay. And and maybe even tighten your biceps and just feel how that feels. Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of stress, a lot of ang- sort of reminiscent yeah. of anger. A little anger. You feel a little anger. And then... Open, now open your palms and extend your palms outward and maybe even reach your arms forward a little. Can you, can you feel inside how that feels? It brings a small smile to my face. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And kind of a receptive state. And now cup one hand over the other hand and keep it extended and open facing upwards. Just... Rest one hand cupped in the other. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now I'd like you to take those two hands and bring them together toward your chest until they rest on your chest. One hand over the other. Mm-hmm. And just feel, feel the warmth of your hand and the and the pressure, the gentle pressure of your, of your hand on your chest. Just feel that sensation. Yeah. And just linger with that sensation just for a moment. And as we do that, certain thoughts may come up like, oh, this is what well, you might feel comforted, certainly more than bald fist, but I think you might also have some other feelings like, oh, this is hokey or... You know, this isn't me. You know, basically, just allow whatever thoughts arise to come and go. As you feel the warmth of your hand and the gentle pressure of your hand on your chest, just allowing your hand to rest there. Okay? 
That's the pra- that's a very very simple self-compassion practice which which people often have a lot of difficulty with. <laughs> you know what's what struck me is how simple such a practice is and how short a time it takes and how rare it is to take the time to do such a thing for oneself. Yes. yes. You know, so if, so, if one of the, um, your listeners is about to uh, have a job interview or go on a date or you know do, do something scary, just to place one hand over the other and put it on one's heart does two things. Two things. It actually captures the very definition of mindful self-compassion. The mindful part is is um, bearing witness to one's own struggle in that moment. In other words, we found ourselves in the crowd by simply placing our hands over our hearts. And then the compassion part is responding with kindness and understanding. So that simple act, we find ourselves in the midst of our struggle. And we're giving ourselves a, a moment of quiet tenderness and warmth. So in one simple body motion, we've uh, changed our, probably changed our physiology just a little bit from fight or flight to uh, comfort and soothe. Well, that's a lovely place for a short break. See you, talk to you in a moment. Yep. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260 day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zox Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune in to the Catherine Zox Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America Channel. 
Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. So, welcome back. This is Mark Green. So, Chris Germer. Um, Chris, we were talking in the break about some of the crucial elements of self-compassion, and it got me thinking that, uh, you know, that in our show, we often address issues pertaining to people with psychotic disorders or addictive disorders, and often early on in the work, um, people can be very alienated from themselves and from others and feel very isolated and criticized and um, in their own heads. Um, and uh, you were, some of the aspects you were talking about really made me think about the pertinence of that. Um, so you were telling me when things go wrong, people get into certain states. Can you say a bit more? Yeah. Um, well, if we look at our own experience, when, when uh, we fail, when we suffer, when we feel inadequate, we tend to do three things, which I, I call an unholy trinity of reactions. One is we self-criticize, like, um, oh, I'm so stupid, or what a jerk I am, or, you know, if I were only smarter, this wouldn't happen. We, get, we self-criticize. The second is we self-isolate, and that is we often feel ashamed when things don't go right, and we try to, you know, crawl away into some hole and hide and separate ourselves from others. Or we, we just separate ourselves from ourselves by, you know, getting drunk or trying to get overstimulated in some way so we're not in our own bodies, self-isolation. And then the third part is self-absorption. That is to say we start to ruminate when things go wrong. We, we regret the past and we worry about the future. Those three, you know, three reactions, self-criticism, self-isolation, and self-absorption, are the opposite of self-compassion, which my colleague at the University of Texas, the real pioneer in this whole area from a scientific point of view, Krista Neff, she wrote, she made a scale called the self-compassion scale, which incidentally people can take online if they go to uh, self-compassion.org. They can take the self-compassion scale. And it it basically, she says self-compassion has three components, uh, self-kindness, which is that we don't speak critically to ourselves, but we speak encouragingly or more warmly to ourselves when we suffer. Mm -hmm. The second is a sense of common humanity, which means I'm not the only person in the world to whom this sort of thing has happened. Bad things happen to everybody. Suffering is a part of life. And the third is mindfulness, which means that we don't get 
um, stuck on one thing, and we can actually still sort of see the forest for the trees. Those three components are always present in a moment of self-compassion. What you were referring to is particularly, I think, the second element, which is a sense of common humanity. When things go wrong for us, especially if we suffer from uh, mental illness, psychotic disorders, or if we have substance abuse, we start to feel ashamed, uh, and we uh, kind of slip into the background of society if society doesn't do that for us. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So self-compassion is a way of kind of re-entering, re-entering the stream. You know, um, also during the break, we're talking about the fact that that fight or flight, the, the sensation that we might have got with clenched fists and biceps was that anxiety feeling, which is often driven by the adrenaline system, norepinephrine, um, and the sympathetic nervous system driving our heart rate, driving up our blood pressure, and the calming aspects are more mediated um, by other chemicals and nervous system um, components, which we're really trying more explicitly to draw into contemporary psychiatry. But, it, but um, is that one of the mechanisms which uh, is thought to be involved in some of these practices? Yes. Um, there's an eminent uh, psychologist, uh, in in the UK, Paul Gilbert, who wrote a lovely book called The Compassionate Mind, and his position basically he says that self compassion uh, evokes uh, oxytocin, which is a uh, which is a neuropeptide associated with a sense of uh, comfort and soothing in relationship, like when we're being held or hugged or nursing or making love, oxytocin will be released, as well as the endorphins, which uh, are kind of feel-good hormones as well. So um, we can actually look at uh, the nervous system as as being uh, uh, norepinephrine-based, which is fight-or-flight, or or dopamine-based, which is more about competition and where you stand in the pecking order, or... um, uh, neuropeptide-based uh, oxytocin and norepinephrine. I mean, oxytocin and um, opioids. And the opioids, the opioids and and oxytocin. And actually, the third, the soothing mechanism, balances the first two. And in our culture, that just doesn't happen much because our culture is so built on fight or flight and uh, climbing up the pecking order, competitiveness. So to consciously evoke uh, in our own bodies what was naturally given to us as a way of balancing, that is to say, to consciously evoke the soothing system is a profoundly natural and healing thing to do. It's just that we've kind of gotten out of the habit, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah, chimpanzees do it when they're grooming each other. Um, And um, as you say, uh, and mothers and infants do it um, as they're staring into each other's eyes. And prairie voles do it when they're picking monogamous partners uh, for themselves. Um, And and interestingly, when you squirt um, some oxytocin into someone's nose, during a couple's therapy session when there should be high conflict, they get on ever so much better and they trust, and people will trust people in a, um, in a 
what would be a competitive game much more with the presence of these um, hormones, right. uh, neuropeptides. So, so you're saying that these are much more explicit approaches um, that um, appear maybe to elicit those similar responses? It, it appears that they do. It's very, very tricky, actually, to measure oxytocin in the, in the brain. Mm. Um, so we haven't yet been able to do that conclusively, but we certainly know that leaning toward others and being held by others, even hearing a loved one's voice on a cell phone, um, uh, uh, seems to elicit oxytocin, at least peripherally. We don't know what's happening in the brain, though. So the, perhaps the practice of self-compassion, which isn't a, a bonding experience or a soothing experience from another, maybe that evokes a similar response, which is also in some way healing and calming that stress hormone system. Yeah, so that's what, we're, that's what we believe at this point, and uh, it's an excellent research subject. Yeah. Um, so, and then the parasympathetic system, um, you know, through the vagus nerve has also been implicated in sort of yogic breathing, right, and certain yes, breathing uh-huh. techniques to, to soothe and calm that um, sympathetic system. Anyway, we could get off on this tangent yeah. for a, a, a long way, but it is a very interesting emerging yeah. science yeah. Um, for this. Yes, um, perhaps, perhaps we have time for you to introduce us to a, uh, another self-compassion technique because I enjoy those. Oh, okay. Um, well, one of the places where we need uh, compassion and self-compassion the most is in relationships. It, it seems that most of the wounds we experience in life are in relationship, so also we can be healed in relationship. So the question sometimes is raised, what do I do in the thick of things with uh, my spouse when we're having a fight or with a child, particularly, say, a teenager when things aren't going well? Um, how can we be in the relationship but in an entirely new way? In other words, how can we be compassionately in the relationship? And in order to do that, usually we need to have self-compassion. In other words, we need to open to our own struggle, and we need to have compassion for others, which means open to the other person's struggle. So a very simple, you might even say uh, pre-verbal practice, is to inhale compassion for oneself and to exhale compassion for the other person. So even if we're in the midst of an of a argument, or right now as we sit here, if you can imagine, imagine some relationship in your life that's sort of unfinished, maybe has a little stress or pain in it, mm-hmm. a little stress or pain, and, you know, get that in your mind in a way that you can actually, you know, get some traction with it. Like, oh, yes, right, oh, you know, maybe something you got feel it. embarrassed about. And then inhale right now. Take a nice uh, breath, inhaling, feeling the lusciousness of an inhale as compassion for yourself for, for feeling this pain. And then as you exhale, send compassion to that other person. Because surely they wouldn't be treating you badly if they were, um, if, they were if they were happy, you know, if they were well. So breathe, inhale, inhale for yourself, breathe in for yourself, compassion. 
and exhale kindness and well-being to the other person. Now, if the other person has hurt you greatly, you don't need to send them compassion. You can just send compassion out to the world. You don't have to send compassion to someone who's hurt you greatly if it doesn't work. But definitely you want to inhale kindness for yourself and exhale kindness toward the other person or somewhere. So you can hear a break coming up. However, on the inhalation, this compassion for oneself, I like that. It's a pause saying, I don't like this feeling of anger that I have towards this other person. It causes me distress. Beautiful. And I am going to be soothing this with that inhalation and then sharing it. It's a, it's a completing the loop with the outside world, right? Exactly. All right, let's take another short break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Two views, different topics, questions, answers, news, and advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk. Network. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart, but I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. So welcome back. Mark Green, sitting in for Mary with Chris Germer. So one of the points before the break, we're doing a, um, some inhalation and focusing on compassion for the self um, and then exhaling for someone who we felt some anger toward. And um, I thought it was interesting, this idea of inhaling compassion and trying to um, recognize your own anger towards someone else mm-hmm. as something in, in oneself. Um, and that sounds to be a, a core issue for in the development of some loving kindness, this development of consideration and compassion and empathy for oneself, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, really what we're, 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 we're not asking for a lot. We're just wanting to be aware in the present moment that the body or the mind is, is experiencing some distress. We don't have to be uh, particularly poetic about being able to unpack it. We just need to know, oh, this is a moment of suffering. And then bring, draw uh, kindness in or inhale in the same way as, as if uh, someone whom we truly love were telling us about some difficulty they're going through. We might have a big sigh like, oh, I feel so sorry you're going through this. We can find that for ourselves. If we can notice in the present moment when we're struggling, then we take a really big inhale. That's all that's necessary. It's really quite simple. And the the inhalation, as you were saying before, particularly if it's diaphragmatic, will activate the vagus nerve, which activates the relaxation response. So it actually feels rather good, you know, to inhale. And then when you have a full lung full of air, you know, it's got to go somewhere, and you've already got a lot of goodwill in yourself, send it out. And the amazing thing is, when, you, when we practice like this, is that often what hurts us in relationships is when there's a sense of disconnection. And this practice of both inhaling kindness for ourselves and exhaling for others uh, heals the, the sense of separation or disconnection. So often it transforms the relationship. Very simple kind of nonverbal practice. Mm. And probably a nonverbal practice which other people um, really resonate with, like how we catch yawns from another person. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. Verbal signals which we really experience in another. Yes, our mirror neurons, the, the, the neurons in us that can uh, feel what other people are feeling um, are activating are activated all the time and even if, even when our disposition or attitude changes a little bit the only way people can know that is by feeling it in their own bodies so as we start to feel compassion they will feel compassion it can completely transform a negative interaction and can change marriages i i have one client who his marriage was completely transformed because he just committed himself morning, noon, and night to, do, to doing this uh, breathing compassion exercise. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, a very um, a burgeoning 
um, therapeutic approach for couples is emotionally focused therapy, which teaches people really to um, share their their pain and ask for the other person to um, um, be there for them and, and vice versa. And involved as you talk about it, I think a lot of that compassion for oneself and for the other, and certainly um, oxytocin and those soothing um, neuropeptides have been evoked in, invoked in that treatment too. Um, so do you find this practice um, of um, self-compassion, um, is, is this something that you've been able to use with a whole range of disorders and difficulties with people um, in a very transformative way? Uh, I, well, um, so I've been practicing what one might call compassion-focused therapy for uh, maybe four years now, and um, all of us, when we've been, when we're uh, in the midst of um, really strong emotions, um, need uh, compassion. In other words, the 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 sense of self kind of gets hijacked by how we're feeling, and we need to be rescued. Um, and so it, it's no matter what a person is suffering from, whether it's uh, psychosis or substance abuse or anxiety disorders or depression, um, compassion is a key element in the healing process, just as nobody would want to see a psychotherapist who was uncompassionate, you know. <laughs> um, but how compassion is uh, delivered, both in, say, in the therapy room by an external person or by a loved one by an external person, or how we deliver compassion to ourselves, depends a lot on what the particular difficulty is that we're dealing with. So some people, for example, who suffer trauma, um, when you offer compassion, uh, they actually can be, uh, it can trigger um, trauma. They can experience what we call fear of compassion or backdraft. Sometimes when we get a lot of love, we think of how we're unlovable. Right. So that, that requires a special approach. Uh, people who have suffered from substance abuse, um, they often come a little easier to the self-compassion process than people who are traumatized, but they still have some difficulty. My colleague at the University of Washington, Alan Marlat, is now working with uh, self-compassion more explicitly. He's an expert in um, relapse prevention. Yeah, and I know that he's developed mindfulness-based relapse prevention. Right. Um, but he's moving more into the use of self-compassion? Well, he's integrating these ideas more into his uh, approach, yes. You know, um, we've come to the end of the show. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Um, so once again, where could people see more about your work on the Internet and, and hear more about your book? So the website, uh, which also has um, some... Um, bits about the book um, is www.mindfulselfcompassion.org and there are also uh, free downloadable um, guided meditations as well as uh, mindful self-compassion worksheets that people can download from that website if they would like to uh, practice on their own most uh, helpful most in the best way as a companion to the book. The book sort of provides a grounding and then these 
materials may help you to integrate it, people to integrate it into their daily lives. Well, I recommend it warmly, and uh, we'll look forward to reading it a second time myself with a bit more time and uh, patience. So thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. It was delightful speaking with you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.